Welcome to Blown Away, Conversations in Youth Foyers, brought to you by the Foyer Foundation. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Our first conversation is with author, researcher, mother and Foyer Foundation's inaugural ambassador, Chloe Shorten and Foyer resident, student and youth advisor, Lalani Nelson. If anything in this conversation is triggering, please get in touch with the Kids Helpline, 1800 55 1800 or Lifeline 131114. Now make yourself a cover and enjoy Blown Away with Chloe Shorten and Lalani Nelson. I'm Chloe. I'm an author and a research nerd and an advocate for women and children. I'm Leilani and I'm a student at FOIA and I'm also a youth advisor with the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence and I'm currently studying early childhood education. So Leilani, I met you a few months ago over the phone and I was absolutely blown away by you. So I'm thrilled to be able to have a chance to talk to you a bit more about your life and about your hopes and dreams. I was describing you to my family as the future chief of UNICEF worldwide or potentially the secretary for education. There are no limits to what you could do, Leilani. So we were put together by Poya Foundation and I was telling you that they'd asked me to be the inaugural ambassador for the foundation, which is a real honour for me. And this is one of the first things that I've had the opportunity to do and to kick it off with you is a real treat. How old are you? I'm still 23. So in COVID years, that means you're probably about 30. (laughs) (laughs) You're 23 and you're studying early childhood Mm -hmm. and you came to Foyer Foundation how long ago? I moved here in October, Mm -hmm. but for me, it was still very early, um, my sort of experience being in a service, being in this kind of like world. So before the Foyer, I had been in one refuge, but I was only there briefly. And then I've spent most of my time at this Foyer. Mm -hmm. When you speak to people at uni about Mm. what your life has been like up to now, Mm -hmm. what are the sorts of things that you allow yourself to tell people? I think one thing for me which was sort of confronting but not in a negative way, just more so um, it really sort of opened my mind to the reasons why young people might end up in a service like the foil, even simply just like the refuges that I had heard of, you know, meeting other young people through different services, just how that's really complex. Because Mm -hmm. I think for me, I never really thought that I would be in a service. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I spent a little time trying to sort of like process. So I guess that's the thing is you really, you really never know where you will sort of end up depending on what you're dealing with. I think that's something that I often sort of share with people is that, you know, it's very diverse. The reasons why people are in their services, people are in programs. Hmm. You never know really someone's background as well. 
But it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because if you were at uni or at work, ordinarily you wouldn't start a conversation by telling people your personal background anyway. So why should you otherwise? And I think that one of the sort of striking stereotypes, I suppose, or um, stigmas about young people who experience a period of homelessness is that it could actually happen to any of us at any time. And there's not one pathway to that experience. And there's many different things. You know, when you you say to people, well, I've got a friend who that I'm doing some work with who has experienced homelessness and and they say, oh, you know, are they a runaway? You know, so there's all those connotations, assumptions Mm -hmm. that go along with the concept of where you're living and why you're living there when it's actually only a tiny part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And not really thinking of, you know, when I'm my son who's at university meets another kid, they don't go into that detail. I mean, they've always, they probably don't even talk, but <laughs> just <laughs> grunt at each other or high five or whatever they do. But, you know, it's not really something that is the key part of who you are. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that the foyer and meeting you and some of the other young people, every time I say young people, it makes me feel like I'm 500 years old. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, coming to the understanding of what foyer does and how, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about education, potential, yeah, yeah. opportunity, looking at a person for what they can bring to the world rather than from whence they've come. Yeah. It's so good. Well, I think in a way that's how I sort of would frame it to another person is it's Mm. like it's basically student accommodation Mm. with having a mentor, so you're having more tailored support. But I didn't have that idea about it, you know, until I actually came here, even Mm. for a few months in the work that I was doing, that I'm still doing with Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, looking at advantage thinking, looking at the service offers, it definitely um, kind of dissolved a lot of that hesitation I had at the beginning. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately just about how, well, your, your first introduction to FOIA, it's really coming from a person outside of the FOIA that is that linking person. So they mm-hmm. might be your mentor or they might be a caseworker in another service or a refuge. So it really comes down to what is their understanding mm-hmm. because they're sort of this unofficial mm-hmm. spokesperson, I guess. So those first few conversations that you have, they're really important because that's really just depends on that moment of is that person going to apply or are they not going to apply? Yeah. It's a real leap of faith, isn't it? You really have to be brave yep. to put yourself into that conversation, into that talk with somebody. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've really found with you is that as well as being really articulate, you are also, you're a brave person. And I think that that's probably what you're bringing to the work that you're doing in the Brotherhood for other people and particularly youth. Is that what you're finding, that you have to be brave? I think when you sort of think about bravery and what that kind of looks like for people that are sort of in these spaces, I would say that it's about encouraging a positive risk, Mm. Mm -hmm. I think, which is something that I have definitely become more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. That can be prolonging whether or not to study, to enrol or to, you know, leave the, the job that you're in that you're not satisfied with and then thinking, okay, maybe I should branch out and do something else. I think a lot of that is put on the back burner when you're sort of just trying to cope. 
So mm. you don't have that kind of freedom, I guess, to think about, should I take this risk? Will it benefit me? I think it's sort of like opening up your world. You're sort of staying in a very restrictive place because I think mm-hmm. you're sort of just always thinking about how to sort of stay afloat. It's so a luxury, I'm, isn't it? That Yeah, that it really is. People to be having a Definitely. particular kind of mindset and you need to, to learn that mindset. I think most of us need to learn that mindset anyway over our lives, regardless of, yeah. you know, what's brought us to where we are. And that mindset goes further for you, doesn't it, from that taking that risk, as you say, that sort of calculated risk into your study and now your study, you never, you told me that you wouldn't have seen yourself loving your academic work so much that you can see this pathway that is so (laughs) much broader than when you first started. It's really exciting, isn't it? You know, so that little bit of risk has exploded for you. Mm -mm. Even, I think as well, just sort of, um, Having different experiences, so even in with the work that I'm currently doing with Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, so we're looking at different practices, looking at different frameworks and that kind of thing, that has definitely tapped into sort of like a different skill set that I didn't really know that I would find would be something that I would necessarily pursue and study. Mm. So even though I'm studying early childhood now education, Mm. I have been thinking more along the lines of, well, should I, you know, study something else? Should I push myself here? Or So that's that's something that I hadn't expected. So I had this solid plan of I'm going to do this and I'm going to do the bachelor and I'm going to get involved in teaching and I'm going to do this and this. So that's sort of left me with more of an sort of an open-ended way of approaching all of that. Is that something that you've learned from the model of advantage thinking that FOIA promulgates? I would say that the first experiences that I had where I came to that kind of realization was those discussions that I would have with my youth development worker where we would look at things that I was working on so if I was working um, how I felt did I feel secure in that job was I finding that rewarding Um, and then also like financially where was I planning what sort of goals did I have for study so when I sort of uh, spent that time reflecting you know together I sort of was realising how I kept myself in this coping sort of mindset rather than recognising, oh, I'm actually doing quite well here Mm. and sort of not being so hard on myself and then recognising growth. I Mm. think that's something when when you've been in that sort of place for so long where you're just struggling, just trying to get by, Mm. you don't really notice the progression and you Mm. don't see that development. Mm. So I think for me, having that mentorship definitely made me realise a lot of that that I had still sort of kept. It's really interesting because, you know, as a mother of three kids, I catch myself every now and then talking with them in a way that has a particular assumption about something they're doing. And the advantage thinking work has also taught me a bit about making sure that when you come to those conversations with the young ones that you're looking at it from you're t- tuned in to the conversation in a way that doesn't make assumptions doesn't stereotype doesn't have a label attached to whatever you're discussing and particularly when you're talking about their future you know I've, I've found that I've learned a lot just from looking at the 
foyer work and listening to some of the foyer people talking. It's something that really everybody should have access to, isn't it? And I noticed with you, you're such a natural teacher. Do you find yourself talking about this sort of approach to thinking with other people and young, you know, Mm. kids? Well, I think that when you look at, say, for instance, the seventh test, which is all about challenging others Mm -hmm. and sort of bringing that approach to others, I think that in my relationships, especially a lot of my friendships, I would say that I do take on sort of a mentoring role where I'm giving support to people. And that's something that just comes naturally. Mm. But I think... Your mum's um, a teacher, isn't she? Or she was a teacher, yes. your mum? Yeah. 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 So you, you've learned very, you know, throughout your life, the value and the power of education. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. And you um, can see that in you. <laughs> I do see it as an empowering thing. But for me as well, I think I've just... Personally, I do just love to learn and that's something that motivates me when I'm learning something and that can be in work or even in school. Um, That's something that keeps me going is if I have that interest, I'm passionate about something and I'm quite a curious person, I would say. Open-minded too, open-minded. You're certainly curious about lots of things in conversation Mm -hmm. we've had. Have you thought about writing about more of your experiences for other people? I have thought about writing. I, even when I was younger, because I, I know that we talked about it, but yeah. when I was younger, I did sort of think, you know, would I want to do writing and what would that look like? Would it be, would I be writing stories or would it be something like journalism? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm very much interested in people mm-hmm. and just having not just conversations, but just sort of listening to people and if I was, if I had the opportunity, I think I might want to take writing in the direction of potentially writing about social issues or just giving my perspective on things Mm. or bringing different ideas together or something. Mm, That's great. We talked about that a little bit, didn't we? I've um, had many years on the what's called the campaign trail in politics (laughs) where I've travelled all over the country to tiny, weeny country towns and, you know, lots of different places, met lots of people. And the ones that have always fascinated me really is talking to the grandmas, talking to grandmas and and the elders and particularly elder women about their lives and their grandkids and their children taught me so much that really... I decided that I wanted to go beyond journalism and and write a book and that's how I first wrote my book called Take Heart which is about families in Australia that aren't the contemporary classic stereotype nuclear family and the fact that you know more than almost half families aren't that anymore and really historically never were so I wanted to write about that and when I did, I I kept reading and reading and reading because I have, like you, a love of learning. I read about 800 papers. I got (laughs) to the point where my husband says to me, you little researcher, you, what are you going to do with all that stuff, you know? And I, I went, oh, I don't know. Is it talk yeah. about it to people. <laughs> 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 people. Yeah, and because I'm, I'm actually yeah. quite a shy person, when I'm speaking in public, people don't believe that at all, but I have to overcome my shyness. When I see that natural communication skills in other people like those that you have, I'm really encouraging of it. So, uh, because if you're able to communicate, you're able to, you know, you like learning, um, you, you value education and you've got something to say, you have to say it. So, this is me like being bossy and just telling you that you have an obligation 
to fulfil that potential that you have and that mm-hmm. people see in you and it can surprise you. So when I wrote that book, then I went around and had to talk about it to people. That was mortifying. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> was, I was thinking, oh, it's one thing to read all the research and to know all about different families mm-hmm. and how they operate, what mm-hmm. makes the work tick and, and then to be answering people's questions about it. Yeah. And, of course, as you probably know, a lot of research shows that if you're female, women tend to not be as confident as men in their knowledge and their expertise about things. Mm. And so you tend to be a bit reluctant Mm. to push yourself forward. Mm. So you need other people to push you and you in turn to help what, let's say, coach or, or, you know, do that with others. Mm. So so this is me putting you on notice that you have to write (laughs) your story, not just your story, but how you see all those people around Mm. you and particularly in the COVID time, it's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, one thing that I have sort of found interesting is um, I think the dynamics of just people around me and uh, I think if you are that person, it's the encourage, encouraging and, and sort of nurturing. I find that for me it's been that thing of like having to also find time for myself and and what I'm doing as well. But I think it's definitely something that will, I think, shape how people hope in times like this. I was having a conversation with someone about how when it comes to coping, even people that, you know, might do a sport or they might go outside or something and and that's how they cope. But when you're not able to do that, you really have to kind of be resilient and, and have those sorts of internal ways of coping. Mm. So I find that a lot of the young people around me, yes, some are struggling, but some actually seem to be quite okay because in a way they can sort of be independent in coping. So that's been kind of... I think it's very hard for the ones that are on their own. I think really that's been... I'm I'm watching a bit of that. Certainly in my neighbourhood there are quite a few older people who live alone and, um, you know, we try to go and visit or knock on their door or put a note in there. My kids occasionally take very uh, rustic-looking cookies over to it. I was trying to find the word for it. Um, But technology has been a great helper, though, hasn't it, during this COVID? You and I both in Melbourne, we should say, and that means that we've been in isolation or quarantine for a lot longer than many other people. And um, you have to draw on every bit of resource internal mm. resource you have what have yeah. you been doing to keep your to be looking after yourself self-care it's a big word self-care um yeah. I think definitely been exercising more mm. um like having a set routine which has been good and then doing a bit more painting that's been good yeah I think for me it's more so just just trying to sort of just be settled in letting it just sort of pass just the time because for me I'm quite a social person Mm. so not having the things that I would usually be doing like meeting up with friends or going to a bible study or meeting with a group or something um Mm. that's something that I have definitely missed Mm. but my home life has definitely sort of remained the same I would say but just having structure I think separating work mm. from from school mm. and home and all that because it's all in one place. Mm. Um, that's yeah, it's a challenge, like, isn't it? Yeah. Doing that, yeah. And and yeah. I'm trying to be a homeschooler, and I've got to tell you, 
I'm not a natural natural school teacher. (laughs) I love school teachers. I think they should be paid a million dollars each. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, one thing that I've now considered is in the future, if I do, you know, I do want to have a family myself. So working from home is something that I has kind of like been a bit of a light bulb for me because Mm -hmm. I would like to homeschool. Mm -hmm. So if I'm able to work from home, homeschool. That's something that I have thought about. (laughs) (laughs) Any tips for me? (laughs) Unfortunately, no. Not not at this moment. (laughs) I tend to stick to doing the support for the subjects that I'm very confident in and the ones that I'm not so much, I tend to have to do some emergency cooking or cleaning. So I have to leave or coughing. I have a coughing attack. But um, it's it's a challenge for everybody and it gives people, I think it's giving a lot of people pause to think about how they operate in their whole lives. But certainly, you know, it's important for us to make sure that we're supporting young people who are vulnerable. And so how are some of your um, housemates, your college mates mm-hmm. doing there? Going okay? I think so. Um, most of them are studying still, which is good, um, still having that to sort of put some time into, you know, it seems that most of them are quite independent, all my my friends. um, So I think it's more so that thing of just trying to deal with that, the time that's gone by and because it does, it does feel like a long, a big block of time Mm. that's sort of never ending. I think mental health wise, I think they seem to be just trying to sort of find ways to, not feel so weighed down, I guess, Mm. about all of this. So making sure that they have some sort of structure or routine. I know that there has been quite a lot of support here with different workshops that we've been running online. Mm, Um, That's good. So we've had like mental health workshops and just all of that well-being sort of things that you sometimes overlook, I guess, but they're really important. Mm. And what's been interesting is we've sort of had those workshops that have been run still online, of course, but mm. with all the other foyers at the same time. So mm-hmm. not just within one foyer. So if we're all online anyway, mm. we might as well make it accessible to all of us. And then that way I think it definitely helps young people to interact with one another from the different foyers because I think that's something that we haven't really focused in on a lot. So it's mm. something we're starting to do more. And just trying to sort of figure out what would that look like. It's fabulous to talk to you and to share some of the time with you and particularly mm-hmm. since it's a very weird time in our lives and learning so much but as much as we connect with one another, that's really what, um, that's what I love so much about the Foyer Foundation and the fact that it's given me the opportunity to meet a couple of extraordinary, outstanding human beings like you so that means that's me saying to you that, you know, you have to keep being outstanding, right? The pressure's on. The expectation's yeah. high. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you before we wrap up, and that is if you had a magic wand, how mm. would you use that magic wand for the FOIA Foundation, what you've experienced, what would you see for the future of FOIA? I think that a lot of the experiences while someone is in FOIA, a lot of that is about widening that person's social network and just the connections and relationships that they have. So I think 
within Education First Youth FOIA and sort of the relationship that they have with the community. I think in the future, young people that have those experiences from the FOIA, so ex-students, for instance, having roles within the community, maybe that's post-FOIA having um, roles as mentors or having more leadership roles, really sort of valuing that experience because I really think that they're receiving such a progressive program, but really having that experience of advantage thinking, really shaping their understanding of this sort of world. So I think in the future, I think really valuing the knowledge and the skills and the um, experiences of those students post FOIA, building those connections in the community after they've sort of graduated and left. I think that's something that would be really valuable to sort of invest in. I agree with you. I see the FOIA Foundation building ambassadors all over the country, people who've been graduates of FOIA who've learned about all those Mm -hmm. skills Mm -hmm. and particularly advantage thinking and looking at their own potential because those people will be leaders Mm -hmm. and will see people in a different way to the way most of us come to meeting someone young and, you know, oh, so hi, and what are you studying? And, and, you know, without really (laughs) saying to them, hello, how are you? Who are you? me about yourself and those people will be changing I think that some of the workplaces and um, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see I'd like to see foyers all over the country you know as many as possible to um, give people that uh, opportunity to fulfill their potential and um, mm-hmm. you know wouldn't that be a fantastic thing if this country could could do that and provide yeah. that new generation of leaders mm-hmm. I think it's just about this sort of ripple effect where we're sort of really wanting to rejuvenate a lot of these services and Mm. a lot of our practices and our approaches. So bringing more people on board and having those young people that are really recognised as being really the core of all of that. So, um, yeah, hopefully that will add to that change that we're sort of seeing, Mm. which, you know, is good to see. Yeah, I love that. There's a great quote, Gandhi, who said, be the change you wish to see in the world. I say it all the time, but it is so true. And watching people progress through, students progress through FOIA, that's what you're seeing them do, isn't it? They're becoming what they want to be and they're becoming what they want to see other people being like. And that is a transformational thing to watch and it's such a privilege to be part of it. So thanks very much, Leilani. Thanks, Chloe. Thank you for listening to Blown Away, Conversations in Youth Foyers. If you were triggered by anything brought up in this conversation, please reach out to the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 or Lifeline 131114. This conversation is brought to you by the Foyer Foundation. The Foyer Foundation is a national charity that advocates for solutions to the deep challenge of youth homelessness and unemployment in Australia. To learn more and show your support, visit foyer.org.au. This show is produced by Cassie Walker, audio production by Dave Collins. Thank you to our supporters for making this project possible. Connect with Foyer Foundation on social media and sign up to the Foyer Foundation mailing list for more info and episodes.